This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. We want to start off with uh, what's going on uh, in Caledonia. Uh, and maybe more to the point, what's not going on in Caledonia. We talked with, uh, of course, the mayor of Haldeman County, Ken Hewitt, a week or so ago when uh, a blockade was set up once again on Argyle Street. And we had hoped at that time that this was going to be a short-term situation that was going to get resolved and uh, they'd be able to open the road once again. Well, here we sit, and uh, it's still not fixed, and uh, people are getting awfully frustrated. So we welcome back to the program uh, the mayor of uh, Haldeman, Ken Hewitt, to uh, try to get an update on what's happening. Ken, thanks so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Well, thank you, Bill. Good morning. Well, look, maybe the status of what's going on, is it, is it the same as it was a couple of days ago? Has anything at all changed? Yeah, unfortunately, the uh, the situation is the same, and, and and the frustration, as you alluded to, is is, is mounting. Um, in fact, it's 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 turning more to, to to anger, and I and the anger is directed, you know, solely to the OPP. Well, let's talk about that because this uh, sounds like a, a a broken record. I mean, this is very similar to the discussions we had back when uh, the Douglas Creek situation, of course, uh, just seemed to to grow, and and we saw the frustration, we saw the anger, we saw a number of different things that happened as a result of this. And one of the consistent criticisms at that time was that the the role that the police were playing in this, uh, and and some like to classify it as bystanders. What are you seeing right now, Ken? Well, I think I think what we learned from the last time, Bill, was that uh, I mean it was a, a native land claim that was supported by the community at large. In this particular case, it's it's more of a self-serving interest, and and it's not supported by the community at large. But but the OPP are choosing to to uh, apply the same process, and 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 those that are protesting are smart enough to know that if they if they hide behind the guise of well, it's 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 a land claim, then it, it puts the OPP on edge, and and that's what's happening. This this is a self-serving interest, and 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 is not supported by the greater community, which is why I think it's really frustrating us and and the public because the OPP should be following the rules as they would with any other situation, such as you and I being on a road. Let me ask you about the claim itself, and 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 I know that a number of people have tried to reach out to the people that are behind the protest right now, and 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 sometimes they seem to want to talk, sometimes not so much. But my understanding, though, Ken, is this is uh, something to do uh, about uh, Ontario government transfer of an area known as the Birchlands. That's up near Mount Pleasant. It's not even near Caledonia. So why have they chosen Caledonia for for this this well blockade that they've set up? Well, I think they've chosen Caledonia because the OPP have set the precedents in, in, in suggesting that it's okay to, to protest there. And, and the other question I would ask, Bill, is is, is it truly the Confederacy uh, that's that's representing or, or standing behind this protest? My understanding uh, from, from talking to many on Six Nations is that this is truly not representing the, the whole or greater of the Confederacy. It's one or two individuals. It's one individual in particular who's growing tobacco on the Birchlands, who stands to lose some money, and that's what's driving this. So why, why then, is, is the status quo being maintained there? Then you'd think that, that somebody would speak up, somebody would take some action on this, and nobody seems to want to step up here, seemingly, anyway. Well, the, the hope was that it would be resolved internally, uh, but uh, unfortunately it's not. And, uh, and, and we're at a, you know, we're at a situation now where it's the rights of the businesses, Bill, that are losing money uh, because of the OPP choosing to, to as they would suggest, protect uh, the public. Well, there's no public there. I mean, I question who they're protecting. Um, they're certainly not protecting the, uh, the livelihoods of these businesses who rely on, on the income to, to, to provide for their families, and they're losing, uh, losing a lot of money. And, and it's directly uh, due 
to the choices that the OPP are making, and it's them that I hold and will be holding accountable, as I should I expect the businesses to. Ken, let's talk about the chain of command, because in, in the Douglas Creek situation, of course, this uh, same criticism was being leveled at the OPP. Uh, Julian Fantino was the OPP commissioner at that time, of course. Uh, well, during the, the worst part of that, anyway. But the criticism went well beyond that, right into the Attorney General's office and right into the Premier's office, uh, because there seemed to be some uh, some knowledge at that point that they were actually getting the marching orders from Queen's Park. Who's calling the shots there now? Well, we're being told that it's coming from, from uh, the, the head office uh, or Western uh, Command Center. It's that, uh, you know, we continue to ask the questions. Who's, who's making, ultimately making the decisions? And, and and it's it you know we get quite the uh, aloof answers. Uh, it's a challenge to really pinpoint who's deciding uh, how this process is being done. And and frankly, Bill, it's you know when you're more worried about the consequences of applying the law than applying the law, then then you've discredited the uniform. And that's that's what we're seeing. You and I would operate worried about consequences. That's what governs our, our ourselves, and that's what keeps us honest. Why are we allowing? The protesters to dictate, and that, and, and this is what's really surreal. So, th- so this is what the OPP have told you then that they're afraid of what the ramifications would be if they decided to move these people out. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's no support. And this is the frustrating part: is there's no support from the greater good of Six Nations to 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 support this protest. They're as against it as we are, but they're concerned that if they go in and 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 apply the laws as they should, that there's going to be pushback and, and retaliation. And it's, pushback from whom, though, Ken? Did they identify who they're afraid, uh, concerned about, who they're afraid of here, who they're afraid might, might, might push back against them if they did something like this? Well, that's just that they can't identify that because they don't know. And, uh, and their fear is, is that uh, if they go in, that there would be a similar situation as, as the past. And I, I, I firmly believe that's not the case. But at the same time, that's not how we should be governing ourselves. And that's how the OPP are governing this situation. And when you're worried about the consequence, you, you, you've taken your badge and discredited the uniform. How far up the ladder can you go on this? I mean, ultimately, the OPP do answer to the Ontario government. Uh, that's who they work for. Uh, do, do you take this argument to Queen's Park now? Well, that's, I mean, we're, we're working our way through the chain of command to get to where ultimately the decision is made. And, and once I do atta- you know, obtain those names... It's those names that certainly will be uh, at the forefront of the businesses when, when the businesses decide to take legal action. And, and from there, it'll be ultimately back to Queen's Park as to how these decisions are made. And, and is this the type of policing that we can expect across the province through our OPP service? And, and this all goes back. I mean, the historical reference here goes all the way back to Ipperwash, of course, and, 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 the, and the, the killing of Dudley George during a, a protest that occurred there some years ago. Uh, books have been written about that. Charges were laid at the time, and we understand that that was the mindset, I guess, of the government and the OPP back in the days of the Douglas Creek uh, display that went on for some time and months and months and months. But you have developed a relationship uh, with with the obviously with the Six Nations, and you've talked to the leaders uh, on, uh, over there about this right now. Have you have you run this idea by them that uh, hey, listen, if something happens here, if they try to enforce this, if they try to move those people out? Uh, how will you people react? Have you had that discussion with them? Well, I have had it with uh, with several different members on Six Nations, and and as I said, the the majority uh, I can't speak certainly for all of them, uh, but the majority that I have spoken to uh, do not support this this protest. Uh, it's not uh, for the greater good of the community, and it's not a native land claim. It's a self interest issue uh, where one is making a significant amount of money because of the the use of that land. 
and and it's it's a head-on dispute between her and the band council. And so it should be, if anything, be dealt with at the Birchlands or dealt with with amongst themselves. But it sure it certainly shouldn't be on the streets of Haldeman County. This is this. This is kind of going to sound like a massive understatement, but I mean, this has got to be awfully frustrating uh, to have gone through the Douglas Creek situation, the smoke shop uh, problems, and 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 time and time again, it's, it seems as if you're petitioning the people that are supposed to be doling out the law and order and keeping the peace in the community right now to do something about this, and and for them to to not respond in a fashion that that could probably get this thing resolved and solved, it, it's got to be just be it's mind numbing really to think that this is happening again. Bill, it's 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 absolutely absurd, and 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 it's just that it, it it what this sets is a terrible precedence. I mean, you're you're suggesting to radicals across the the country that if if you have a dispute that you're just not happy with, well, come on down to Caledonia because we'll support it and 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 allow that what they call peaceful protest. Well, it, it it's not you know when does the rights of the individuals who live in the community you know become at the same level, or, super, or be, are not even at the same level as those that protest. I mean, we, we're protecting the rights of the protesters at all expense, and it makes no sense. How many people are actually on site? Do you know, or does that vary? Bill, sometimes there's nobody there. It, it's ironic. There's, sometimes we'll see we'll see six, seven, you know, fifteen police officers protecting a site, protecting a piece of steel across a road. Sometimes there's nobody there. Sometimes there's a, a half a dozen people there. But it's 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 nothing. It's absolutely nothing like what it was in the past. Which begs the question: If there's nobody there and there are OPP officers there, why don't they just remove it? Well, it's, the question's been asked several times, and, and in fact, we've even offered to uh, to send uh, a municipal uh, vehicle down to pick up the, the you know the stuff off the road, uh, and and we can't and the road that we actually manage or obtain or that we're supposed to manage, we can't send a truck down there because we can't get past the police blockade. So the police won't let you do it. No. Do you find that a little more than ironic that? Uh, that here you are wanting to do something about this, clean up the road in, in your your area, and and it's the police that are stopping you from doing it. Well, the irony is is that the you know, the comment back is, well, we're here to protect the public and, and keep the peace. Well, well, again, I, I beg the question: Who are they protecting? Um, you know, there's nobody there for the most part. But and if they are there, who are you you're protecting? Those that are choosing to break the laws and are not supported and are using. They're using the claim because they know that that handcuffs the police. They're using that claim as a as a purpose to obtain or to, to satisfy their own agenda, and that's what's happening here. Have the OPP have discussions with uh, the protesters? Are they trying to negotiate? Are they talking to them at all? Well, they have. I mean, there's been a number of conversations and a, and a number of meetings to to try to resolve this in a peaceful manner. But you know, unfortunately, it, uh, it it always comes back to to you know where we sit today and. And the patience is, is 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 running thin. In fact, the patience is gone. We, we 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 felt that uh, you know we could obtain this uh, this peacefully, as I mentioned to you before. Uh, we're now into day nineteen, day twenty, and uh, enough is enough. And, and the OPP, um, you know, need to to they need to balance their duties between protecting the public and applying the law, and that's what they haven't done. If if I can relate it to the Douglas Creek situation once again, Ken, and just uh, to to see what was going on then. I mean, the provincial government had a hand in this. They actually appointed an arbitrator to sit down and try to come to some resolution on this. Uh, we we talked with them a, a couple of different times, and there seemed to be some progress. And they never really got this thing resolved. We get that, but there seemed to be a hands-on approach. 
Uh, I don't see a whole lot going on here right now. I don't see the province getting involved in this. I don't see the OPP getting involved in this. I don't see anybody, really, aside from yourself, getting involved in this, which tells me that uh, you're probably getting pretty close to a breaking point on this. Well, that's, and that's exactly it. I'm afraid, yeah, Bill, the province is, is, you know, albeit it took them a long time, a lot longer than it should have, uh, but the province did come through with the promise of, a promise of giving up birch. <clears throat> they gave birch to, to the band council. And there is some dispute amongst themselves as to whether the, the control of that land should be held with the Confederacy or the Band Council, but that's certainly between themselves. Yeah, that's not your fight. That's not our fight. And the province, from their perspective, has honored the, and made good on their, on their commitment. So, that's, so there's no involvement from their end. The federal government's not involved because certainly, yeah, there is issues with land claims, but this is not a land claim issue. This is a, this is an issue of someone farming the land who the bank council has has obtained an injunction to get them off the land, and it's a question of money. And it's pure and simple, driven by money for one individual versus the community. But that was that was resolved some time ago, and 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 that was as you say part of the settlement. And of course, the you know, province purchased Douglas Creek. We we remember all of that. Why did it take them so long to all of a sudden get upset about this and decide to protest? Well, I think what happened was is this individual's been using or been farming that land while this process was taking place. And and, and just recently, uh, the province uh, handed over the ownership of, or title of the land to the band council. I think it was May, May of uh, this year. So May of this year, the band council uh, notified the, the individual who was farming the land and, uh, and said that uh, that you know that, that agreement was no longer valid and uh, that she was no longer welcome to be on that land. That's what started the, uh, the, you know, the confrontation. That confrontation has led to, to this blockade, which has nothing to do with Haldeman County, nothing to do with Caledonia, nothing to do with land claims. Yeah, there it is, uh, right there in your backyard. Uh, continue to go up the chain of command, Ken, and please let's stay in touch about this, and uh, hopefully we can get this thing resolved. Uh, this has gone on far too long as it is. Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. Uh, okay, appreciate it. Uh, Ken Hewitt, of course, Mayor of Haldeman. Uh, reaching a, I guess, a breaking point of frustration and, and anger, and I can understand that, and the number of residents in Caledonia uh, that have uh, contacted us uh, here at CHML over the last little while, too, saying, when's this thing going to get resolved? Uh, it's a good question. Somebody's got to step up here, and it, and it looks like the provincial government through the OPP are going to have to do something. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Yesterday in the program, we had uh, former Hamilton Mayor Larry Deany on, who... Uh, thought that uh, City Council was actually doing the right thing by uh, going to the Ontario Municipal Board uh, and not adopting one of the uh, two recommended changes to ward boundaries. Now, there is going to be a hearing set on this, of course. Uh, Mark Richardson, who is the uh, citizen who uh, actually filed the complaint with the Ontario Municipal Board, was with us on the program a week or two ago, uh, talking about how he's preparing for this. Uh, City Council, of course, is going to have to defend their position. They've had to hire outside counsel because they were told by uh, their own legal staff that they couldn't defend the position. It's uh, a bit of a quagmire, and uh, Councillor Judy Partridge uh, from uh, Ward 15 out in the Waterdown area has been uh, one of the uh, the vocal opponents of uh, what is being recommended by the consultants, and uh, we tried to get a hold of her yesterday, but she's a busy person, obviously, uh, but we did have time today. Uh, so one day late is, is better than not at all, and it's great to have you in here. Thanks for coming in today. Oh, thanks so much, Bill, and I'm just delighted to be here. And i got to tell you, you got one busy morning ahead of you. Yeah, lots going on today. Lots going on today, and I could say so much about what you 
you've got coming up, but we'll stick to the ward boundaries. Let's do this. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> probably no less contentious or controversial, but let's get into this right now. Yep. Uh, you're, you're asking your folks, and Dreschel, Andrew Dreschel wrote about this the other day, you're asking your residents to get involved in this process right now, uh, suggesting that if they don't, that they may not like the results. Um, some people are suggesting what you're doing here is actually stirring the pot and fear-mongering. Mm, yeah. Well, you know what? I the way I see it, it's it's all about good governance. It's good, good governance, and it's all about uh, everybody should have the right to speak. We live in a democracy, and right now there there just seems to be uh, I don't I don't know what it is, but I'm trying to get people just to come out and have a voice. If they're from Flamborough, that's great. I want them to support the uh, the changes that council has come forward with. It's up to them. Again, we live in a democracy, but everybody should be involved. And I'm not seeing the level of engagement. And I got to tell you, Bill, even when we were dealing with this at council, the the gallery was pretty much empty. If there were maybe 12 people there outside of staff, but that was about it. So there really didn't seem to be, other than you know, the small group of, of folks who, who uh, like to have their say. Um, but there really wasn't the amount of engagement that you would think there would be on a topic that's so important as this. Well, I think it's important. and uh, But I guess the question back to you then is just because there aren't a whole lot of people there, does that mean that you really shouldn't be addressing this issue and doing something about it? There is an inequity with the way things are with the status quo. Well, you know what? I When the transition board... Um, uh, developed the policies around how the new city of Hamilton would operate way back 17, 18 years ago. One of the things that was important to take into consideration, and they did, was how to have a fair balance between the rural area and the urban area of the city. And I think by and large, they did a great job on that. Now, keeping in mind that was a lot of years ago and there have been significant changes to different areas of the city, one of them being Waterdown and uh, Binbrook area, significant growth in Stony Creek, etc. So yes, we do need to address that. But at the same time, the rural area has some very unique issues that it deals with that the rest of the city doesn't. And I think it's, it's hugely important that we recognize that there is a difference. You know, we have the green belt that we deal with. We have so much uh, provincial legislation, the Clean Water Act, the Niagara Escarpment Commission, the Conservation Authorities Act, that it just doesn't apply to all areas of the city. When the con- when the consultants that we hired, um, they interviewed all the councillors, and one of the things that um, I was certainly clear on, and, and I know other councillors were as well, is that it can't be just based on representation by population. We do need to take some other factors into consideration. Did, but yeah, but to that point though, mm-hmm. it, are, are you suggesting <laughs> that, that what the consultants recommended of those two options, that that's all they considered was rep, rep by pop and they didn't consider any of those other factors? Yeah, I do. When you look at the report and you go through it, there's not a lot about other unique issues that the rest of the city is dealing with. And I think that's a hugely important factor, especially when we look at area rating, which was covered off in the article that was done. That's going to be dealt with in the next term of council, and it is going to be hugely contentious. So I really worry about that balance of power and the inequity. Well, let's talk about that, because sure. this is uh, my recollection on why the boundaries were drawn the way they are, a little bit different from yours. I was I was on that council, the city council in Hamilton, and, and ultimately mm-hmm. the first council for the new city. City and uh, as it turned out, and uh, Dave O'Brien, who was the guy who was in charge of the the amalgamation process at that point, uh, provincial appointee, 
essentially asked for input to do to redraw all the ward boundaries. And and I'll paraphrase this. I remember having this conversation with uh, with Terry Cook, who was the regional chair at the time. Right. Mr. O'Brien essentially said, "Look, at, you know what? We're just going to leave this the way it is right now. The, the original eight, and we'll." do some little modifications on the other because he said this is way too much for everybody to swallow on the proviso that city council is going to have to deal with this 17 years later and you're still kicking it down the road well i don't think we're kicking it down the road i think we have done our due diligence we did not like what what the um the consultants brought back we thought there was areas that were left out of the equation uh, for heaven's sakes, when we went through the report, the, the public meeting that they had in, in Flamborough in uh, Ward 15 in Waterdown wasn't even included in the report. I had to raise it at the, at the presentation and ask, where was it? Because it wasn't in the report. Lots of scrambling, lots of embarrassed looking faces, consultants went and got the information and brought it back. So, you know, that, that's just one red flag. But I really think what we're talking about here, first of all, in, in terms of getting people engaged, I just think it's so important that uh, the people in the rural areas do take a look at this. We did have a petition that came forward in 2015. It was a little bit early. It was at the, uh, the very beginning when the, the public meetings were happening that had over 1,000 signatures on it in support of keeping the status quo, status quo and uh, not going with um, consultant recommendations. But Judy, this is a process that has been going on ever since we started this country, for heaven's sakes, let alone the amalgamated city. The federal government just went through this process a number of years ago, and those new mm-hmm. boundaries that, that they had drawn went into effect in the last federal election. The upcoming provincial election is adopting those same boundaries. This happens, and population growth needs to be addressed and the city doesn't seem to want to handle this issue. No, I'm not going to hold you account for the past city councils that didn't do anything about this. No, but because you were on that past city council too, Bill. Well, I tried. <laughs> I tried. I, I was one vote, sadly, but you know that, yeah. that's sadly the way things go. Yeah. But it's always, Judy, there's a perception here that it's us versus them. And, and once again, you're hearing some of the rural councillors saying, look, at, if there's an imbalance of power, if there are more councillors in the old city than there are in the rural areas, we're going to get screwed. That's fear-mongering. No, and that's not what I'm saying, and that's not what I've heard from any of my uh, suburban councillors. Well, I'm hearing it. What we want to do, what we, what we feel by looking, all councillors taking a look at the wards, and let's use Ward 14, for instance. Um, Councillor Pasuda needed to have a more increased population. Um, my ward is going to be 40,000 people within the next 10 years. So we carved off Millgrove area. So that gives him another 2,000 people. And that's the kind of thing when, you, uh, when we understand, and all the councillors do, understand how important it is that we all work together. I don't, I'm worried about that divisiveness. I don't believe what we're doing right now is going to lead to that. I think it is going to lead to... Um, us continuing to work well together. And Bill, we've come a long way. You know, my goodness. I, I, you know what? I want to believe that. And there is, there's a, a lot of indications that you have, but then every now and then it's like two steps back too when you get into situations like this. And and to suggest that, well, you know, we're going to have yeah, to deal with area rating. if you look rating. at the vote, no, if you look at the vote on what we did when we, when we ourselves took a prudent look at redrawing the lines and meeting with our fellow councillors and looking at that population equity, uh, Inequity. No, I think I well depends where you're looking at. But Judy, right? do you not see? But I don't do you feel not see that city councilors who actually sit down and said, "Will we do this?" is self-serving. 
No, I don't. Not at all. It's not self-serving. We're looking after our our, our uh, residents and we're looking after our, our ward issues. And when you look at the vote bill, the vote wasn't a, a contentious vote. It was the majority of us that voted in support of what we did in our due diligence. And have so you not heard the not, feedback? That's not. I mean, a yeah, I mean, you've heard vote. you heard terms like gerrymandering, and 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 I know that's that's a pretty tough word, and, and it may not be something that's very palatable to some of the councillors. But to sit down there and simply say, I think it should be on this street as opposed to this street creates the impression that you're doing it to protect your own interests. You're all veterans on that council for the most part. You know where your voting strength is. I don't think those councillors, any of them, should be making that decision in the first place, which is why you should have hired a consultant. You did that, and then you threw the report in the blue bin. Well, we didn't throw it in the blue bin. We went through it, and we disagreed with the findings because we didn't feel that it really included all aspects of what needed to be considered and that we had that discussion with the consultants each one of us was interviewed and we laid out here's what we feel is important to be looked at and there were there was you know certain components of it that weren't considered and it's not fear-mongering the fear-mongering is when you use words like gerrymandering which is not what's happening and just because you say a word often enough doesn't mean that that's what's actually no, true and Judy what's it's the perception that a lot of people have that you had no business meaning you, the council, had no business taking on this role yourself and saying, we'll draw the boundaries. We know what's best. No, and I disagree with that because that is our job. Because I heard the same thing from federal. No, but that is our job is to, is to do good governance over this city. And yeah, I know there's going to be those out there who disagree. But when you're out in the rural area, just as when you're in the downtown, which by the way, nothing in the downtown core has changed. Those wards remained exactly the same. And we're not suggesting that they should be changed. But when you look at the rural areas, we're going to end up with less of a vote around the table on contentious issues such as area rating. And that's a fact. That's not fear-mongering. That is a fact. Well, you're, you're, yeah, but your, math, your mathematics, no, 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 no. Judy, your mathematics is based with. on the fact that you think that everybody in the city is going to vote one way, everybody who's a rural councillor is going to vote the other way. And the voting record over the last number of years is in the case that's not the case. When we work together, which is exactly what we did with the ward boundary. We all work together. I get that, Judy. I know this. And you sing Kumbaya and everybody's happy. But the no, reality is you're still you're still doing an us versus them here. Yeah. It's the rural councillors against those inner city people that are going to they're gonna nail us. Boy, if, those if, are your words. They're not well, my look words. Look at what you're saying. Where? Look at what you're saying. When you Where? when you say that when we, you're going to handle something like area rating, and if we don't have that kind of balance that we have right now, that that you know that it could be disastrous for the rural councillors. That's fear mongering. No, that's fact. That's fact, Bill. Come on. That's not fact. It is. It's so you're you're, you're right now. You're predicting that that if you lose a, a seat, for instance, or if there's an extra seat given to the uh, to the uh, uh, for instance, the Central Mountain, which is the most populous ward in the city right now, mm. you feel that you're going to be screwed around by the new council, and, and they're going to have something imposed on you, and you're not going to like it. No, that's not what I said at all. That's sure what is. you said. No, that's, what I'm saying is we need to have a fair So balance. you're okay with giving an extra seat and an extra ward up on the mountain, then? You're okay with that? No, I did not say that. I don't want the balance to be Well, then why, are you, why are you opposed to it? Why are you opposed to it, then? Well, I'm opposed to it because it... it has a, there's a disparity in the in the balance of the voting around the table, and you there's know, a disparity with the population. There's sixty three thousand people in that. But why Central should Mountain it be ward. based on that and that alone? It's not that alone. 
it's not that alone, but there's a growing ward. Your city. No, uh, no, 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 no. What you're saying is, and you've said it repeatedly, that it should be based on population. Only. I said that. They did That's not say That's what the only. consultants report. I haven't is used saying. the word only, Judy. Now you're putting words into my mouth. <laughs> All right. Well, I said back population at needs to be a factor. Sorry, back Population at you. needs to be a factor, which yeah. is why federal boundaries are redrawn, which is why provincial and boundaries are redrawn. I agree with you. It needs to be a factor, just as the explosive growth that is happening in Ward 15, and that is a factor. So why, is, why are you bringing it up in now? Binbrook area. What, what do you want your residents to do? I want my residents to come on September the 18th to the OMB hearing to register as a participant. My understanding is the, time, the deadline's already come and gone for people to register. No, no, no. They're saying that if you come on September the 18th, and I've got this from my legal counsel, uh, for the city legal counsel, rather, that um, the OMB will... Um, accept those who want to register to be participants or if if you're not comfortable speaking about it then at least come and attend and let's have some numbers there to show support the actual date where they're going to be hearing the participants and the residents that want to speak it's a nighttime meeting and um, I believe it's October the 23rd I could be wrong but it is going to be a the dates are posted those are, yeah those yeah are, they're posted yeah yeah so you know but um, that's when people will be able to come and and speak for and against and I would imagine there's going to be a ton of people coming out and speaking how much did the consultants report cost the consultants report I don't know what the final amount was I know what council approved was around 270,000 or 260,000 but I don't know what the final amount was I think it was less than that but I don't know the exact amount. I, I heard 250, but I mean, again, you know, the, yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of difficult to, to, to try to nail this down. Yeah, and how yeah. much is this appeal going to cost? Because you've had to hire outside counsel now. City staff, city legal department can't do this. You've had to hire outside lawyers, which I think that, that's not cheap. How much is this going to cost the city taxpayers? I, I, I am not sure to be uh, exact. I think we have set a limit on it of $75,000, but uh, I, don't quote me on that because I, I don't know for sure. So this is going to cost us upwards of $300,000, and in all likelihood, the OMB is probably just going to impose something on this anyway. Well, the, you know I what? know that there are other solutions, but it hardly seems feasible mm-hmm. that they're going to send her back and say, do this again, because we've been there, done that, and they're going to get the same result. Well, I am no fan of the Ontario Municipal Board, the OMB, as, as it's commonly referred to, which is another reason why residents need to come out and speak. OMB has not been kind to the Flamborough area. We've lost a number of, of cases that have drastically affected what's going on up there. I can't wait for the As, uh, as have results. other areas of the city. Well, as have other areas but you, of the city. you're getting your highway expansion. Uh, you've got the infrastructure up there. As, as water down has grown, the city and, Eight and, and the province. Eight years behind schedule. It's there. there well, <laughs> it's not there right now. And that's the problem. We have all the growth out there. We don't have the road infrastructure. It's been held up. It's eight years behind schedule. The people on the South Mountain have been waiting for the, the ward repairs up there for the last 25 Everybody years, Everybody has. Talk to the so, folks so on I, so Rymel is, Road. So this is not a unique uh, situation to water down in Flamborough, then. Yeah. Those those are issues that are separate and aside from what's going on with yeah. ward boundaries. Yeah. And Do I you can't. really and truly think that somebody on Hamilton Drive out there cares whether they're in Ward 13 or 14 or 15? No, they, they want. want they, they just, just want, want to get st- <laughs> stuff done. They want the infrastructure built. Of course, they do. So, does it really matter? I mean, these are arbitrary n- lines that are being drawn right now, and it's supposed to represent, to some extent, anyway, representation with population. I mean, does, you you think it's fair then that one ward has sixty three thousand people and one councillor, and the other has seventeen thousand and one councillor? I think when you're going to change the governance for a municipality, you need to be able to have 
everyone who wants to speak come forward. And that's what I'm trying to do. It is hugely important that we engage all citizens and not just a small group. Um, and, and, you know, not disparagingly to anybody, but we really need to try and do whatever we can to Why get Why didn't they go engaged. to the public meetings then? Well, they, they, they had opportunities to, to already speak up about Well, the this. one in Waterdown, which was left off the report, did have about 25 people attend. And I think it was probably uh, more than a lot of the other public meetings. Well, uh, we haven't resolved it yet today. Uh, I, I got a feeling about how this whole thing is going to turn out, and we'll see who actually who shows up at the OMB hearings. And because I've heard some conflicting reports about who's going to be allowed to speak and who not to, and uh, I, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm not certainly waving flags here for the Ontario Municipal Board, but uh, oh, please don't. No, uh, but, but the fact is, is this is before this now. This probably never should have got to this stage, and it's probably going to cost Hamilton taxpayers over three hundred thousand dollars for this whole process. Uh, and and that's a sad thing too that uh, they didn't really need to be getting to this point right now with the. But kind just of remember, Bill, and you said it yourself. It was not dealt with by past councils, so at least we're trying to deal with it. And you know, by the way, if you look at area municipalities around us, in most cases they just went along with what they've all had all the way along, even though there's substantial growth all around us. Well, no, that's not true. Milton uh, actually redrew all their boundaries, and, and actually in the next municipal election, there were three or four people incumbents lost their seats, which may be an underlying cause for some of the concern for some of the councillors. Listen, we got to jump. We're out of time. Thanks so much for coming in. I know we'll talk a lot more oh, about this you, as we Bill. get into and it. And by the way, I always enjoy coming in here and us spatting back and forth. We've been friends for a long time, so I do appreciate it very much. Thanks, Judy. Judy Partridge, of course, the uh, City Council for Ward 15. Back after the break here on 900 CHML. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Uh, how do we account for the last, the last 24 hours in this, uh, this Art Bryles thing? Where do you begin? Uh, just around this time of the day yesterday, 24 hours ago, uh, word came out that the Hamilton Tiger Cats had uh, signed an assistant head coach and uh, turned out to be Art Bryles. Now, if you didn't know who Art Bryles was then, 24 hours ago, you most certainly do now. And uh, the uh, turn of events that have happened over the last 24 hours have been simply astounding, incredulous, as I mentioned in my commentary this morning at 810 Scott Riley, the host of the Scott Riley Show, joins us uh, right now. Uh, Scott covered this yesterday uh, on his program uh, just after 7 o'clock, and uh, I was listening intently like a lot of Hamiltonians were. Well, like all Hamiltonians were. Scott joins us here on the Bill Keller Show to bring us up to speed on what's going on. How are you doing today, bud? I'm good. How are you, Bill? Good. Listen, talk to me about, about the, your show last night, the guest you brought on, and the insight that you were able to bring to this, uh, this Bryle situation. Well... This story, and again, I, I agree with what you say. I'd be shocked if at this point today people don't know who he is now. Uh, they may not have known before, but with everything that's happened. But I don't think, Bill, that we fully appreciate up here what this guy is all about, or at least what his legacy and reputation is down in Texas where he coached football. This guy is a big enough story and toxic enough that they've written books about what happened under his regime at Baylor University with all the, some that we know are true because they've had settlements, but some alleged still rapes that went on by football players that weren't reported outside the athletic department. Uh, it is, I'm trying, I've been trying to think, Bill, for 24 hours now of the right word to describe the story at Baylor. And maybe you can come up with a better one. But the best word that I can come up with is just 
depressing. This was just it's the most depressing story of bad behavior by every level, from the athletes who committed the rapes to those who seem to not be all that concerned about women and girls who are being raped. Anyway, this is the guy, out of every coach in the history, well, not the history, every coach on the planet right now, that the Ticats decided the one guy they wanted to bring in desperately was this guy. And, you know, to the surprise of nobody, except apparently the Hamilton Tiger Cats, this was a problem. And this morning, uh, Scott Mitchell, the president of the CEO of the team, was on a different radio station, and he says, hey, we were just overblown. We were blown away by the tsunami of negativity, was his quote. And I'm like, how could you have possibly been surprised that a man whose legacy down there is so toxic that other universities send out press releases announcing they won't be interviewing him for a job just to make sure none of the alumni or boosters might think that the university is going to go down that road. How could you think this was not going to be met with just a wall of criticism? And, and I think, and I think that's, that's one of the things that I found astounding. And, and by the way, as, as far as attributes about the Baylor situation, I mean, despicable and deploring were two of the ones that I came up with. But but work. but to go back to the situation here for because uh, numbers count here uh, and and I know that there was a, a great deal of concern and there was a great deal of coverage about the Jerry Sandusky situation at Penn State years ago yeah. Yeah. and and as disgusting and deplorable as that was uh, you have this situation at Baylor right now where according to at least one of the lawsuits and there are many lawsuits about what happened there with sexual misconduct uh, they say that upwards of fifty two rapes probably occurred there. Uh, some of them, only one or two of them have been settled. Uh, this went on for a number of years. And uh, for those who don't know the story, and I can't believe there's anybody that doesn't know the story at this stage, uh, we, we want to be clear about this, that, that Art Bryles was not involved in the sexual misconduct, but they were football players on his team. And when he found out about this in the passage of time, and this is according to documents that were released, public documents now, because the university did their investigation on this, uh, Bryles did not follow through. He did not report what he found out to the powers that be and to the proper authorities. In fact, when one young woman, and you, I think you covered this off last night on your show, Scott, uh, one young woman approached him and told him about the alleged rapes, uh, his response was, those are pretty bad dudes that she was hanging around with. What's she doing over there? In other words, blaming the victim. And that, that's from an email, apparently, a, a conversation that had, and that's on the record in one of the lawsuits that's going on here. Uh this goes to character, doesn't it? Sure it does. Sure it does. And look, I, I don't think that... Oh, you're, you're absolutely right to make clear that Art Bryles was not directly involved in the sexual assault. And I, and, and I want to make also clear, Art Bryles was never charged criminally for any action or non-action in this. However, you're right. This is a character thing. You are a leader if you are a football coach, especially at college. If you, Bill, you have daughters. You have daughters of or beyond college age. And heaven forbid, and I do too, heaven forbid you send your kid off to school, to college, thinking they are getting their education and preparing for the rest of their life. And heaven forbid something like this would happen to them. I mean, it's almost unfathomable to consider. But if it did, the one thing you would hope out of this whole thing is that the adult there would rise to that those girls, those young women's defense, and do everything to help those young women. 
And when you put it, I think, in that context to say, no, they apparently, the football program, Art Riles and those under him, appear to be way more concerned with keeping a good football team and good football players on the field. How then do you possibly say this is a guy you want to have around, that this is a character guy, that as Scott Mitchell described yesterday, he was a good man who was in a tough spot or in a tough situation. Uh, that, you know, Scott Mitchell's interview with Drew Edwards yesterday, Drew Edwards of The Spectator, I would encourage people to go online, to go to 3 Down Nation, to go to The Spectator and read it, because more than anything else that anyone has written about this in the last day, that is telling. And, and I feel I'm going to tell you this, I don't think you would have heard this yet, because again, Scott was just on a different radio station, and we're going to be, he's having a press availability in a few minutes, which we're going to ask about, but one of the things that he said in this interview is there is no moral high ground in this story and i'm thinking wait a second sure there's moral high ground there's all kinds of moral high ground in this story how how is that not seen but that somehow is not seen by the way chml news is going to be there i think anthony urgioli is uh, is going to be there for the uh, media availability so i'm sure we'll get some feedback about that but this is the thing that that i find astounding about this whole thing uh, as, as I mentioned in the commentary, but I'll repeat it here now, I, I, I don't know June Jones. I know him by reputation, obviously. I remember watching him as a football player, and I, I know he's done some coaching. I, but I don't know the individual. Uh, I don't know Ken Austin, really, either, the number of years he's been here. Uh, but those who do know him tell me he's a very highly principled individual. I, I know Scott Mitchell a fairly bit, and I know Bob Young. And and both of those guys, I know that, that you know they've got their, their, their supporters and, and their detractors. I, I think both Scott and Bob are highly intelligent, very passionate, and, and very highly principled individuals. I, they really are. Don't always agree with everything they say and do, but I, I think that. I, I, I just can't understand when they came to this conclusion, and, and Scott mentioned yesterday that this was not a, uh, a quick thing that this this took days weeks for them to actually come to this decision that somebody in that room of all the people that were involved in this decision didn't think sit down and say okay before we leave how's this going to go over how is this going to be perceived uh i i can't i don't know that they had that conversation Uh, with with that amount of intelligence and that that amount of 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 i guess dedication really uh, because we hear this talk and time uh, time again, Scott, with this organization that they want to bring people in here, players, personnel, coaches, etc., that have standards and and high standards for that matter too. And at some point, somebody around that table must have said, "Look at this guy's toxic. You can't do this." But apparently, that if they did have, if that conversation did happen, that would, that individual was overruled. Well, I I share that a hundred percent, Bill. Like if this had been a thing where. Art Riles, um, who, you know, let's, let's be honest, leaving aside all the stuff off the field, which you can't leave aside, but just to separate it for a second, he is a good football coach, which is why the Ticats wanted him. But you can't separate this. And so, again, I go back to my point. There are lots of people who are working in football. And Art Riles has never even coached in the CFL, so this is a new game. So it seems so odd that, given time, if this had been something where someone called up and said, Art Bryles is going to sign with DX tomorrow, you have to decide in the next 24 hours if you're going to hire this guy. I still think you say no, but at least then maybe you can chalk it up to, oh, we didn't get enough time to really think this thing through. Scott Mitchell said they've been thinking about this for weeks. 
And so, you know, there are so many things, Bill. I know what you said about Bob, and I know what you said about Scott Mitchell, but there are so many things, even the last couple days, that Scott Mitchell has said that in the eyes of the public, he said no one's being fired for this, but in the eyes of the public, in the eyes of the fan base, go on social media, Scott Mitchell is digging himself a massive hole that may not cost him his job, may not cost him anything, except I believe that in the eyes of many people in this city, what he's saying is unacceptable, as well as what his actions were in trying to hire Art Riles. Let me ask you something, because uh, I know you touched on this a little bit last night with your guest, and, and of course Donnie Robertson was on, as he usually is on Monday on your program, and I know you guys talked about it for a long time as well. Here's, here's the situation. Were you surprised by the response and the reaction to this decision? Because i, I got to tell you, like I say, we just heard about this, and, and I'm, I'm on the air. I don't have much time to research this. I just thought oh, the Ticats have hired a new coach. Okay. Uh, and I, I had meetings as soon as I got out of here, so I was nowhere near radio or didn't have my social media, didn't have my phone or anything. Then about an hour and a half, two hours later, uh, when I turned it back on, boom, this barrage of stuff from all over North America starts to come on like that. I was, I was astounded that, that, that that many people had decided to kick in here and respond to what had happened. Oh, yeah, no, uh, Sports Illustrated called the Ticats the most tone-deaf franchise in pro sports. Um, they're not just talking about Canada. This, is, this was a, 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 a blowback. I haven't seen a blowback like this. I mean, the stadium debate, we all know the stadium debate. That was a passionate back and forth. That was a passionate debate between people within this city primarily, not really beyond the borders of the city. And it was, which, which place do you like? It wasn't like anybody was against a stadium. They, it was just, which side of it are you on? In this case... They managed to basically tick off everybody. And and when you're talking about, like, we're not talking about that the coach that his program was in trouble because of bullying. Although I'm not putting down bullying or something, or that people said not nice things or anything else. We're talking, Bill, about race. This is, this is, the, this is so, you need a shower after talking about this. And so was I surprised by the response? No. No, how could you possibly be surprised that people were not happy that the Ticats were somehow trying to rehabilitate a guy who was involved with this stuff? How, how could anyone be surprised by that? This is just not okay. It was not okay this is, in, the uh, eyes, in the eyes of most people. This has been, uh, I'm not trying to understate this, it's been a challenging season for the, for the football yeah. team. I mean, you know, they haven't won a game this year. Uh, and, and I hear the fifth quarter here with, on CHML after the games, and, and you know, Zamper, Zamper, of course, is the host of that, and, and he gets an earful after all of these games. And and you see this on social media. You see it on Facebook, too. You know, if, if the Cats lose another game, that's it. I'm never going again. Uh, I hate the coach. Fire this guy. Yada, yada, yada. But you know, you know Scott, different. as well as I do, that they they still love their team. They're, they're angry because they're not winning. A couple of wins, and all of a sudden, that, that those feelings going away. But what I saw yesterday which really intrigued me, was their most ardent supporters, and, and I consider myself to be one of them, uh, just looked at this and said, no, this is wrong. This is just wrong. And and obviously there was a, a, a kickback from, from one of the corporate sponsors, uh, people that were longtime season ticket holders were on social media saying, uh, this is this is over the line. Uh, and, and people that you before you just didn't hear from all of a sudden were weighing in on this. That That's a different kind of, of anger. And Bill, how then, and you're right, you're 100% right, how 
are the tie cats, the only ones not to see this. We have we have every media outlet pretty much that I've been able to find has shredded them for this. Almost every fan has shredded them for this. Women's groups and sexual assault centers have questioned them for this and criticized them for this. You go down the line. How is it that the only people who couldn't see what was going to happen here or or didn't care because they figured, what are they going to do? How is it that the only people were the Ticats? That is an indictment, Bill. That is an absolute indictment that they either were blind to what was going to happen or they didn't care what was going to happen. Well, I, I can't get into their heads. I mean, we're going to reach out to, to Scott and Mitchell in, in a couple of minutes and see if we get some feedback on this because we want to carry this through. And we're going to open the lines up in a couple of minutes as well to get our listeners uh, an opportunity to, to weigh in on what's going on here too. Uh, also, there is a statement now from uh, Bob Young. Of course, all we saw from Bob last night as things were going and changing almost moment by the moment uh, it was a quick tweet uh, thanking Randy Ambrosi for interceding uh, there's a, a more detailed statement that we're going to get to in just a couple of minutes as well. Uh, it was uh, eye-opening, and uh, you were right on top of it last night in the program. And I thank you so much for taking some time to come on with us this morning, Scott. Thanks for this Anytime, today. Anytime, Bill. Anytime. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.